I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Exodus chapter 18. This morning we'll be looking at verses 13 through 27. If you have not, if you have not brought a Bible with you this morning, there are pew Bibles in the pew racks in front of you, and our passage is found on page 60 in those black pew Bibles. Last week we saw the conversion of Moses' father-in-law, Jethro. We saw that he was a leader, the priest of Midian, who came to faith through Moses' testimony of what God had done in rescuing and providing for his people Israel. Today, uh, that same Jethro gives Moses sound wisdom, and it's wisdom that stretches far beyond simply this one situation here that we read of in Exodus chapter 18. So let's pick up our narrative here in Exodus, uh, Exodus chapter 18, beginning in verse 13. Hear the word of the Lord. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw that all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone, and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come To me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father in law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice, I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws, and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe. And place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. 
Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. And thus far, God's holy word. Let's go to God in prayer. Our God, we ask that you would open our eyes this morning, that we might see wonderful things in your word. Teach us, O God. Write your word on our hearts, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. I have a question for you this morning. I don't want to see a show of hands, but how many of you are here this morning and feel worn out? Worn out with life, but worn out especially with your, your jobs, with your work. Studies show that many Americans, and some studies show a good ver- uh, a majority of Americans are overworked and overtired. Well, listen to this, found in the ruins of a London office building from 1852. I just have a sampling of the list put up by the management This firm has reduced the hours of work, and the staff will now have to, now only have to be present between the hours of 7 a.m. and 6 p.m. work weekdays. Over shoes and top top coats may not be worn in the office, but neck scarves and headwear may be worn in inclement weather. A stove is provided for the benefit of the staff. Coal and wood must be kept in the locker. It is recommended that each member of the staff bring four pounds of coal each day during the cold weather. No member of the staff may leave the room without permission from the supervisor. No talking is allowed during business hours. Now that the hours of business have been drastically reduced, the partaking of food is allowed only between 11.30 and noon, but work will not on any account cease. To compensate for the generosity of the new labor laws, the owners expect a great rise in the productivity of work. And no, this has nothing to do with Ebenezer Scrooge. Here, we see Moses is overworked. It is clear to his father-in-law that Moses, because of his workload, is becoming worn out, and he proposes a solution. Indeed, it is a solution, solution that has lasting effects in Israel and ultimately in the life of the church. But before we jump to that, I want us to see... Uh, First of all, Moses' devotion to serving God and his people. Moses' devotion to serving God and his people. Let's pick up in verse 13. We see here, the text says, The next day Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. The next day, this is the day after Jethro's conversion, 
that we saw in verses 10 through 12 last Sunday morning. After his conversion, after his fellowship meal, Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stand around Moses. That's the way uh, judges uh, did it. They sat, the people stood as they came before him. Now, what does this entail? Well, look at verses 15 and 16. It entailed two things. Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God, when they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another, and I make known to them the statutes of God and his laws. So two things here. First of all, Moses mediates in disputes. He serves as a judge. He is a a man of wisdom as he mediates in these disputes. But he also makes known to them the statutes of God, the laws of God. We see it again in verses 19 and 20, uh, where where Jethro is giving Moses advice. Obey my voice. I will give you advice and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases before God. You shall warn them about the statutes and laws and make known to them the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moses is the teacher here. But he's also, at this point, still the judge. In many ways, what we have here is Moses being a type of Christ, teacher, and judge. But he's also a servant, a servant of God's people. Though God's people have rebelled against Moses, Though God's people have been ready to stone Moses, here we see Moses faithfully serving them. And faithfully serving them from morning till evening. These are long days for Moses. Moses has already lived a a long life. He's an old man. At this point, he has faced down Pharaoh. He has faced personal crises. He has led a rebellious, thankless people through the wilderness. But he continues to serve. And he continues to serve faithfully. So the first thing we see here about godly leaders, godly leaders are devoted to serving God's people, devoted to serving God's people, however they've been treated. They do what God has called them to do. I love the story of the relationship between Charles Simeon and Henry Martin. They they became close in Cambridge, 
England. I've told the story before of Charles Simeon's battles in, at Trinity Church in Cambridge, England, where, where Simeon served for 54 years, but for the first 10 years of his time there, uh, this was in the place where, where, the, where there were pews that had doors, and, the, and for the first 10 years, the, the, the members of that church, or at least those who owned the pews, locked the doors of the pews so people could not sit in them because they didn't want Simeon to be the pastor of the church. So they stood around in the back of the church and in the aisles as, as Simeon preached, but Martin for a time was his, his assistant. And he went off to India to be a, a missionary. And he only served for four years. He died at the age of, of 31. He established schools, Martin did. He, he translated the the, the New Testament into Hindustani and Persian and, Ara, and Arabic. And he commissioned a portrait of himself. And he sent to his beloved friend, Charles Simeon, who placed it above a fireplace in his study. I actually have a copy of this in my office upstairs, a, a copy of Henry Martin's portrait. But Simeon would show it to those who came to see him, and he would say, Do you see that blessed man? No one looks at me as he does. He never takes his eyes off me and seems always to be saying, The years are short. Be serious. Be in earnest. Don't trifle. Don't trifle. And then Simeon would add, And I won't trifle. I won't trifle. Faithful in his work to the end. Devoted to their work. Secondly, godly leaders are dependent on others. Here we see Moses faithfully serving, but there is a problem. He's serving one million people all by himself. I have about 350 to 400. I need three pastors and nine elders. And I still get worn out. One million all by himself. Like God at creation, where he says, this is good, that's good. And finally he says, it's not good. So we see not good here, and that's what Jethro says to Moses. He says, not good. That's in verse 17. Literally, uh, Moses' father-in-law said to him, verse 17, the first two words in the Hebrew are not good what you are doing. What you are doing is not good. Why? You and the people... With you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Notice that you and the people will wear yourselves out. What you are doing is not good for you or the people that you serve. Leaders who try to be supermen do themselves and others no good. And what is the solution? Helpers. 
Those who come alongside, or as Phil Riken puts it in his commentary, the solution is Presbyterianism. If you're not a Presbyterian here today, don't, don't take offense. New Testament, presbyteros, means elders. Churches are formed in the New Testament. Elders are, are to be chosen to rule with certain qualifications, and that's what we, we have here. Moses is to maintain his calling, as we see here in verses 19 and 20, but others are to, to share the load. Look at verse 22. Let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. And everyone benefits. Look at verse 23. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. Good for everyone, he says here. One key to, to godly leadership, indeed to godliness, period, is others. Others. We need others. We need fellowship. We need Christian friends. We need those to come alongside, others to come alongside us. We need help. We need encouragement. We see this constantly in Paul's letters, for instance. We won't, won't turn there this morning, but, but Paul is constantly with others in his missionary journeys, and he oftentimes talks about his need for others. Second Timothy chapter 4, Paul talks about those who are with him, those who have desert, deserted him. And he longs for Timothy to come and see him. We all need others. And if you at some point in your high school days read Robinson Crusoe, you remember these these sad words, I am cast upon a horrible, desolate island, void of all hope of recovery. I am singled out and separated, as it were, from all the world to be miserable. I am divided from my mankind, a solitaire, one banished from human society. I have no soul to speak to or relieve me. We need each other. We need encouragement in our walk with Christ. There are over 50 one another exhortations in the New Testament. Love one another. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Serve one another. Encourage one another. Show hospitality to one another. Carry each other's burdens, etc., etc., etc. Fifty. We need one another to walk a faithful Christian life. Thomas Watson, the Puritan Thomas Watson, in his book, The Godly Man's Picture, writes this, A godly man is a lover 
of the saints. The best way to discern grace in oneself is to love grace in others. And he quotes 1 John 3.14, We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brothers. And he goes on to write this, What is religion but a knitting together of hearts? Faith knits us to God and love knits us to one another. We need one another. Third and finally, we see in our passage that godly leaders are defined by godly character. By godly character. The gifts don't matter if the character isn't there. And that's what we see here. Notice in verse 21, he says that you are to look for able men. So ability is important. It doesn't all boil down to just character alone. Ability is important, but so is character. Look at what he goes on to say here in verse 21. Look for able men from all the people. First of all, men who fear God. Men who have a relationship with God. Who treat God with holy reverence. You're all familiar with the proverb, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This is exactly what a judge needs. The fear of the Lord that brings wisdom for the judge. It was said of John Knox, he, he, he feared no man because he feared God. And of course, that's also what a judge needs. Fearing no man because he feared the Lord. It's good for a judge. Begins with the fear of God. Secondly, it says men who are trustworthy or marked, that could be translated, who are, who are marked by faithfulness. It could even be translated men of truth. What does it mean here, trustworthy? Those who are available. Those who do what they say. Those who uphold God's truth. There's also a sense here of not showing favoritism. Trustworthy. Don't show favoritism to one person over another because of a a relationship or some such thing. Finally, they, they hate a bribe. They're not corrupt. They're not swayed by money. They're not greedy. They hate dishonest gain. This is really, in many ways, the tip of the iceberg, but this is what is laid out here, especially for those who are going to be judges of God's people, defined by godly character. This passage also, I think, in some ways points to a final mark of godly character, and that is humility. Humility. 
We actually see an example of it here. It's not detailed here, but an example of it here. And that is in Moses himself. He heeds, he listens to his father-in-law's advice, Jethro's advice in verses 24 and following and puts this into place among the people of Israel. God's people need humility. God's leaders need humility. Humility is central to the Christian life. We read in Scripture that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, God's Word says, before the Lord and He will lift you up. Or as the psalmist says, you, O God, save the humble. Charles Spurgeon in his work, Flowers from a Puritan's Garden, it's a a book in which he reflects on the writings of Thomas Manton. He has a a quote from Manton and then he, he reflects on it. And in one place he reflects on a quote from from Manton where Manton writes, the best of God's people have abhorred themselves or, or, or humbled themselves, we would say today. Like the spire of a steeple, we are least at the highest. David, a king, was yet like a weaned child. That's Manton's quote. Spurgeon goes on to say this. Manton is not very clear about the steeple, but he means that the higher a spire rises toward the heaven, the smaller it becomes. Like if you go outside and look at our steeple. The higher it goes, the, the thinner it gets. And thus the more elevated are are our spirits, the less shall we be in our own esteem. Great thoughts of self and great grace never go together. Self-consciousness is a sure sign that there is not much depth of grace. He who overvalues himself undervalues his Savior. He who abounds in piety, is sure to be filled with humility. Light things such as straws and feathers are borne aloft. Valuable goods keep their places and remain below, not because they are chained or, or riveted there, but by virtue of their own weight. When we begin to talk of our perfection, our imperfection is getting the upper hand. The more full we become in the presence of the Lord, the more shall we sink in our own esteem. Even as laden vessels sink down to their watermark while empty ships float aloft. And then he goes on to give a prayer. Lord, make and keep me humble. Lift me nearer and nearer to heaven then I shall grow less and less in my own esteem. 
All are central to Christian character and to Christian holiness. Brothers and sisters, we are called to reflect God's character. This is especially crucial for us who stand as servants, as messengers, as mediators of God for His people. But at the end of the day, we are all servants. We are all dependent on each other. We are all to be defined by godly character. And we need each other for that. We need each other. So let's serve. Let's exhort. Let's encourage as God gives us opportunity. Let's pray. Our God, how we thank you that you in your grace and mercies have called us to yourself. And how we thank you that that call means that you have called us to serve you. And you have called us to serve one another. And so, O oh God, we pray that you would give us grace. And that you would give us humility. That we might do that well to your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.